C Strategies LLC, the broadcast. Becky, Micah, the Remix Project Chicago, communications, public affairs, strategy, entrepreneur, media, Chicago, women, women, wine, chit chat, chit chat, podcast, podcast, byline, public relations, women, Mary, Micah, Becky, C Strategies, the broadcast, the broadcast, the broadcast. All right, everybody. Well, hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. And if this is your first time listening to The Broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. Uh, For those of you joining again, welcome back and thank you so much for listening. All of this is made possible because of you and our amazing sponsors, Clap Clap, The Remix Project Chicago, and Ventus Holdings LLC. We want to thank them before jumping into our fourth episode. So thank you again. Uh, I'm Becky Carroll. I'm the president and CEO of C-Strategies. And here's a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a two-decade veteran of high-profile political and public policy campaigns, um, including serving as national director of Women for Obama in the 2008 presidential campaign. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, and I've served on lots of boards that promote women uh, leadership roles in politics and women's health, as well as family and workplace issues. And I'm Micah Stambaugh, Vice President of C-Strategies. I'm a journalist and entrepreneur with 13 years of experience working both in newsroom and in the business arena. In 2008, I opened my first business and won an Emmy for my work at CBS2 News Chicago. I also serve on the board of directors for the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago and Susan G. Komen of Chicago. So, Hey, and here we are, ladies. So... Why are you all here today? Well, it's because April's National Volunteer Month, and we are thrilled to have with us today three incredible women serving as leaders in the nonprofit world here in Chicago. So we are uber excited to be joined in the studio by Dory McWhorter, CEO of the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago. Yay. Uh, Janae Myers, CEO of Chicago Cares. Go, girl. And Selena Roldan, CEO of the American Red Cross of Chicago and Northern Illinois. So welcome, ladies, and thank you so much for being here. Clap, clap. Yay. So the three of you um, are running some of Chicago's most impressive and impactful nonprofits. I think that is um, undeniable and unarguable. Um, So talk a little bit about your organizations, its mission and goals, and really, you know, the impact that you're making on Chicago. Well, I'm happy to, to start us off. The YWCA Metropolitan Chicago is 140 years old. So we have been around for a very long time, clearly focused on empowering women throughout the metropolitan area. So we we have such big lofty goals. So our mission is to eliminate racism and empower women. So clearly we have, we'll be here for another 140 plus years (laughs) at the rate we're going today, but we're working on it. We're working on it. And I tried to eliminate both by 2.30 at the- You did, and you made such great progress. So, but having said that, so because we do have these big lofty mission or big lofty mission at the YWCA, what we what we really do focus on are three core programmatic areas. And so we focused on freedom from violence and access to safety and wellness, as well as we help women obtain access to education and training for both themselves as well as their children. And then lastly, economic sustainability. And as a former CPA, that is one of my favorite areas. All roads lead to economic sustainability, and so that's what we need to focus on. And so we have the the pleasure of serving over 300,000 women and families across the entire metropolitan Chicago area in one of those or more of those service areas. And so we're still here fighting a good fight, and I'm definitely am glad to be joined by amazing colleagues today. Well, high five on all that you're doing. That is, that is a lot. 
A lot yeah. of good, good, good work. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, my name is Lana Roldan. So I'm the CEO for the American Red Cross for Chicago and Northern Illinois, which is the fourth largest region of the 60 uh, national regions of the Red Cross. So we serve 9.5 million people across the 21 counties of Northern Illinois, um, primarily. And again, our mission is to actually alleviate human suffering during times of emergencies and disasters. So that's usually what most people think of when they think of the American Red Cross and those times of, of larger disasters. But actually, the number one disaster that we actually respond to is home fires. Mm -hmm. wow. So in Chicago, Northern Illinois, we respond to four to five home fires every single day. So when you wow. think of if a home fire happens anytime, any neighborhood, any community, what happens? The fire department goes out, they put that fire out, and that's all that they do. And that family is left there uh, with the worst day of their life with absolutely nothing, um, food, clothing, shelter, medications, and that's when the Red Cross comes out. And so we are there to help support families, children. Um, last year alone, we responded to um, close to 1,700 um, disasters, and mostly in the form of home fires, and 30% of the people that we do um, provide assistance to our children. Um, so again, you know, in our mission, though, that's only one part of our work. We're also responsible for 40% of the nation's blood supply, um, and in critical right. to ban, which is really important. Um, and a donor. I, good, we want regular donors. People here, see yeah. me right. now, and they're like, I give blood. I'm going to give blood. Like, I can't believe <laughs> without me asking them for blood and blood donation. Um, but um, also, other really important parts of our work are our humanitarian aid and our services to international families, and particularly our work around supporting um, deployed veterans and veteran families as well. So um, really huge parts of the work that we do here locally and also, also nationally across the country. Wow. And you've been there now, is it about a year or so? About a year. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> got it down. So uh, you sound yeah. like you've been we'll there a long longer. Like yeah. a, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Janae Myers, and I'm the CEO of Chicago Cares. And Chicago Cares mobilizes volunteers to build a stronger and more unified Chicago. We're an organization that's been around for 25 years. And it started just trying to figure out ways to get people to volunteer more because it wasn't easy. This was pre-internet. Um, and over the last 25 years, we've really grown as an organization to offer opportunities for Joe and Jane Chicagoan to sign up for free on our website, look for opportunities for ways that they can give back in the community. Also, we work with many corporations in town um, to customize their corporate employee engagement programs. So we work with over 300 plus nonprofits all across the city and really help them manage volunteers at a scale that they normally couldn't do on their own. Um, besides that, Chicago Cares is also really about building connections. Um, we really believe that volunteerism is a vehicle for building connections amongst diverse people. So whether that's someone from a different socioeconomic race, uh, you name the background, but you put two different people together in the room doing a volunteer project together, you're going to talk about how to get it done. And you're going to talk about what's happening in your life a little bit. And you learn so much more about the strengths of a community that you're working in, the people and the assets that are there. So Chicago Cares is really believing that this is one of the ways that we are really reinvesting in communities to give back in a way where if we get ourselves out of the ivory towers of downtown and more out into these amazing communities that we have, we realize we are many communities, but we are one Chicago. And you just launched a new deeper dive initiative. It's yes, community investment strategy. Yeah, yes. So it's really focusing on communities on the south and west sides of Chicago, and we're working with local community-based organizations. We realize that we've got to go where the work is already being done and where people are already mobilizing. So we're focusing on um, 
neighborhoods like Auburn Gresham and Englewood, uh, Bronzeville, Greater Grand Crossing, and we're really focusing on those communities and working with Teamwork Englewood and Greater... Greater Auburn Gresham Development Corp, long acronym, Uh, but amazing organizations where they're already mobilizing people around quality of life plans. So those quality of life plans, we've then said, how can we help bring more sweat sweat equity in the form of volunteers to help mobilize people for good? Um, So it's been amazing. And the ideas that are um, coming from that are fantastic from the community. We've now hired staff from those local neighborhoods to work with Chicago Cares to really help mobilize folks, get them out and make sure that we're doing projects that are authentic to that neighborhood and that community and really fill a need. And it's April's Volunteer Month, so yeah. clearly Chicago Cares being all all we do is volunteerism, right? right? Um, uh, uh, alongside what you all do, volunteering is part of it. Uh, that's all we do. So yeah. we're big on promoting. Yeah, we're big on promoting Volunteer Month. Yeah, no, this this was a really fun podcast for us to plan. Becky and I was like, we, we need to, you know, we have three powerhouse women in Chicago <laughs> leading our nonprofits. Like, we need to get them in one room and just. Yes. I was like, oh, April Volunteer Month. It, is there anything in particular that was specific or an event or, you know, a life moment that sparked your guys' interest in public service? And what ultimately drove you to turn your passion for this work into a career? I mean, you guys are the CEO of these huge uh, organizations. You want to start today? Sure. So, um You know, I worked for the city of Chicago for years and years, and I had the pleasure of working for Maggie Daly. And I got to see firsthand how um, the First Lady of Chicago, as a volunteer, supported so many charitable organizations, but also founded After School Matters. So um, working with Maggie, it was incredible to see the dedication and the passion and You know, I got to see the philanthropic community and the business community and how that steps up. So uh, I learned so much from her, and it really inspired me to go into the nonprofit sector as a career. And um, I just, I have Maggie to thank thank for so many things, but that's certainly one of them. And to see her as an example of a person who had a a thousand things she could have been doing, um, but she came into the office every day, and even after her cancer treatments, she was working, and everything she was doing was really trying to grow that program to make sure that every child in Chicago had after-school opportunities because she knew how critical it was to get them engaged because that would then lead to graduation rates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that just passion and dedication was something I wanted to emulate. I think there are a lot of people like you who followed that path after working with her, which is really inspiring because her legacy lives on that way. Definitely. Lots of friends who um, would all say, yes, she affected me too. Yeah. Um, You know, I usually start by saying, so my parents are New Yorkers, um, and so I, my mother still talks about how she was six months pregnant with me when they moved from New York City to Chicago. Oh, wow. I mean, in the nicest way possible, it was like, the first year you were born was the worst year of my life. (laughs) They came to the city where they knew no one, had no friends. Hard. One of the main reasons they came is that my father had the opportunity to be the first employee for a company called Hispanic Housing Development Corporation. Oh, my gosh. And so, and... At that point, so 40 years ago, and um, again, now has a, has developed over close to 4,000 units of affordable housing throughout the city of Chicago and Illinois, and Hispanic housing is looked at as I one of the I just made that connection now. Wow. Yes. Okay. So yes. Yes. In the blood. Yep. And, um, <laughs> you know, really, I, I think about that a lot now, kind of being the space that I am. My mother, also a clinical social worker by training. 
very well respected psychotherapist in the city of Chicago. Um, so I can't necessarily was like that moment of being like something specific happened. I just really think about how I kind of grew up and what my parents kind of talked about in terms of the work that you really do not to work, um, you know, outside of communities, but you work in communities, you know, and with communities, not alongside of them. And so I think about that a lot in terms of kind of thinking about why I'm sitting where I sit now. So definitely set you up on the path like so, with certainty <laughs> so it's interesting I actually get this question a lot because I came from the corporate sector into the not-for-profit world which as a CPA by background the words not-for-profit totally just messes with me like it's like Mufasa like that just it does not make sense to me but um but for me when I think about this work I actually think of it as just a different type of business and so I talk about us being in the business of human services and what I think led me specifically it's the work of the YWCA in eliminating racism and empowering women was specifically what drew me to the organization as a board member um, over 12 years ago because I served eight years as a board member first. But as I really reflect on this, I actually had a letter that I wrote to Santa, Santa Claus. I mean, I, like we're on a first name basis, Santa. <laughs> Santa Claus, and right, but Santa Claus, and I was 11, so don't judge me, I was older, but having said that, I, um, the letters asked for three things, and the three things were, one, to make everyone alive today be okay, two, a little evidence that he's real, because I think I was getting some pushback at 11 by then, <laughs> and then three was to let me be my parents' accountant, so I think, clearly, I was just, I always loved math and oriented around math, but I think for me, this work let the purpose that I had in terms of let everyone in the world be okay, as well as being an accountant, just really merge those two worlds. So for me, it's how do I do the business of human services? And so I'm, you know, when I say I'm not interested in the not-for-profit sector, it's when I actually say that all the time because I think people act like you can only do good if you're in the sector. And I'm like, if we're the only ones doing good, then what is everybody else doing, right? <laughs> right. And so we need everybody to, go, to do good wherever they are, whatever that looks like. Right. And so for me, it just so happens that I love the work of the YWCA. Well, you would have been my bestie back then because that's all I was doing. I was like, I want to save animals. I want to save people. And I felt like I was on an island. So I'm glad that you followed now that and connected. married it. Yes. And now we have. So, so you know, it's been interesting. It's like, you know, we've all been paying attention to what's been going on since the November elections. And it seems that people are more eager than ever to get involved, I know, in politics and to engage around issues that they care about. Um, and I've been curious thinking about this podcast and how has this impacted, you know, you guys? Is this translating into volunteerism and engagement, donors, dollars? Like, do you feel like this movement of everyone now who's woke up, so to speak, is that not just translating into politics and activism, but do you see that at your level with your organizations? I'm curious. So at Chicago Cares, yes, absolutely. I mean, we had calls immediately after the election of people wanting to volunteer and how do we give back? How do we had some women that we just helped kind of organize around um, doing something on inauguration day instead of, you know, going to the inauguration or whatever they wanted to go out and be in service with others. Right. Um, which was really critical. Um, we've seen it just an uptick in numbers. Our, our, uh, the slots on our volunteer calendar are filling up quicker and quicker. Um, people are just looking for more to do, but, you know, anecdotally we've, 
all heard of people, you know, donating to Planned Parenthood or ACLU. Um, those donations are also going up. But I think it's people want to do do something with their time, talent, and treasure. And I love the fact that people are so motivated and want to move to action. So, you know, at Chicago Cares, we want to capitalize on that. We want to say, okay, sign up. Let's get you out into the community. Let's get you out into neighborhoods. Let's get you out doing something for others so you can understand what this greater world is about. Uh, because I think so oftentimes now we all are on our phones and we're got our earbuds in and heads down. I think it's time to just look up because we're feeling very divided as a country and certainly also as a city. So how can we do more for others? Yeah, I love that. That makes me feel good knowing that you're you're experiencing that. I think that what we've seen is really that also like the mission of the Red Cross has been something. When you think about the largest humanitarian services organization and just, again, our fundamental principles around neutrality, impartiality, to serve all people, no matter their background, race, ethnicity, religion, no matter what happens um, during times of disaster, um, what do you think about our international work? And, yeah. you know, just, you know, a month ago, we lost six of our international Red Cross brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who were literally, who were killed delivering humanitarian aid. And so that idea of being connected to something that just serves all people no matter what. Um, and I think also this real tangible service part for us, we have a campaign. So here, while we react by going out to home fires when they do happen, we have, we are two years into a five-year campaign to reduce fire-related deaths and injuries by 25%. So we're actually going out and installing smoke alarms in homes, um, you know, throughout the country and, you know, throughout Chicago to be able mm -hmm. to help prevent that because we, you know, just a couple months ago, there was a fatal fire in Woodlawn where a seven-month-old and a two-year-old died in a mm -hmm. fire. In the basement, mm -hmm. I remember basement. that. Oh. And that next, four days labor, later, we were able to go out and do a canvas of that same exact block where I was actually able to go into the house next to the house that was all boarded up from the fire where there was two families who were saying, please come in, I need to keep my family safe, who didn't have smoke alarms installed, children living in the homes. Um, we installed 52 smoke alarms in 25 homes in that block. And that's so people amazing. really, and there were so many first-time volunteers that were out with us doing mm -hmm. that. And I think that's really where people are seeing where they actually want to, you know, be able to donate and do this piece, but tangibly like work and do something to make a difference in a community. Yeah, you know, the just... one thing that I can say is when I was at Channel 2 News and I was always blown away by, I mean, first of all, it's an emotional roller coaster when you get to a fire story because... You don't. You're anticipating the firemen bringing everybody out. You're you're waiting, but there's also the people that did get out, that are waiting for the Red Cross to show up, and then the Red Cross shows up and they are so excited. They've just lost everything, but they are so excited to see these volunteers, and then the volunteers immediately turn into, you know, support. I mean, they they're no longer a volunteer. They're they're a therapist. These people are crying. These people are hysterical. These people are. And they are talking them down and calming them down. And and I remember I remember talking to a few uh, of the Red Cross volunteers, and I said, "Do you guys go to training? Do you get therapy? You know, therapy training? Do you do they teach it?" And she's like, "They provide us with anything that we need. Not everyone needs it. Not everyone wants it. But if we need it, they give it to us." And I was always just thinking they're a volunteer. They go do smoke detectors. But no, when they show up at these fatal scenes, or you know, just you know, detrimental. Uh, fires, it's they they turn into a therapist. Yeah, the work that you guys do is really twofold. I mean, you're 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 trying to avoid it from happening, but when it happens, you guys are there and covering all emotional basis. So, kudos. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting. So, with our with our big mission of eliminate racism and empower women, we learned during this cycle that women are not monolithic, 
And in saying that, if you look at the election results, there's a large demographic of women that were not necessarily all on the same side, mm-hmm. right? And so, but those same, that same, <laughs> that same base of women also support us. So it's just been fascinating to see. So the expectation was because of our mission that we would see a huge uptick in volunteers and a huge uptick in, um, in, in donors. But we had our major luncheon event immediately the week after, and we actually saw the number of donors go down. The average gifts went up, but the number of donors went down. And that was again, and we also got calls from from different supporters asking us not to be political, asking us not to, because and that was like, that was such an aha moment for me. When you empower women, you empower all women, regardless of their political beliefs. Mm-hmm. With our, You know, we're not as, I would say, um, as we we definitely know where we stand on some policy issues, but the reality is when we're talking about women's empowerment, we really are talking about all women, regardless of their but their beliefs. So with us, it's about how we continue to engage people in ways to truly operationalize their values. So when we talk our issues, we talk about sexual assault, we talk about economic empowerment, we talk about early childhood education. Those are the things that people specifically engage around mm-hmm. versus sort of the broad umbrella of empowerment of women, because the reality is we're all different. Different things mean different things to us. And so we just have to continue to focus on how we support people in operationalizing the things that they care about. Right. Yeah, it's not a one size fits all and you have to be nimble. Yeah, empowerment and just for the sake of doing it. I mean, what does that mean? You help someone get a job, you help someone get childcare, you help get someone out of a domestic violence situation, whatever it is, that leads to empowerment. But all of us as organizations, too, I think we've we've all said neutral and bipartisan, right? We all have to be very careful, too, because there's also the, the reality of you are a 501c3 organization and, you know, you don't know if, if your donor, what side of the aisle they might happen to fall on. So, there are kind of very careful balances and, you know, uh, especially for the work that we're doing and the people that we're um, trying to impact, right, we have to be kind of cognizant of that and know when to kind of pick those battles and how to stay appropriately neutral, but then how to offer opportunities for people for action, too. Well, speaking of politics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So each of you have been engaged in Chicago as activists for issues you care about for many years. What's your observation of the role nonprofits are playing here in Chicago? Has it grown in recent years in order to fill voids in service once provided by government entities or become more narrow in scope? So I've got an interesting comment. So when I worked in the city, um, this, so this was 2010, I did a count of how many nonprofits there were in the city of Chicago, and there were um, 6,668 and I'm sure that's grown. So the nonprofit sector is a sector. I mean, it is a it is a, a, a lively and vibrant sector. Um, so I think there's organizations, new organizations cropping up every single day. Um, it's a good and a bad thing, right? Like I, 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 could, I could play devil's advocate kind of on either side. But so I do think the sector is growing because there's certainly needs that need to be filled in that void from government. I mean, you know, when you look at what's happening across the state and different kind of funding issues, um, government used to be able to fill the holes for certain social services that now nonprofits are coming up and trying to, to replace. But in the very same breath, the thing about the sector is we're constantly competing for the same dollars. And I, uh, when I worked at the city, I would have organizations come and say, I want to start a nonprofit. I'm like, do you realize you have to fundraise and what that means and the sources of funding where you have to get the money from? I want to be a social worker. I'm like, 
Mm. You've got this through. Right. 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 Every right. social worker by training and background. Right. I feel like right. I really have to have a serious conversation with you about it. Because I think the realities are, you know, it is still an incredibly hard funding climate. Um, and, you know, the, the sources of dollars are its individuals, its foundations, its corporations. Um, you know, those haven't changed. Uh, the dollars, I think, that are coming out from certain sources are getting less and less in, in some ways. Uh belts are tightening a little bit. So it's a it's a difficult time right now. Um, and I think there's a lot of good uh, organizations in the sector, but I would say there definitely needs to be way more collaboration. And um, I, I know uh, folks like Forefront, uh, they're, they just launched a, a new department, forgive me for not remembering the name of it, but that's trying to uh, lead towards um, getting more organizations to work together, to collaborate, to potentially merge, et cetera. So I think that's definitely promising because I think the more uniting we can do around certain issues, the more we can hopefully alleviate some of these challenges too. I just had a conversation with a board member, of, of a fellow board member at the Y. I, I said, I would love to have an intern take on a project where the summer where they could go and see all of the organizations that are doing what we're trying to do in the city and we can reach out to them and somehow bring them under our wing because it, because it's it, we're all trying to do the same thing and I feel like we need to stop breaking it up because I get I get you, you know asks to donate and attend events that do the same thing that we're trying to do and I'm like why don't we just all do this together you know, it's fascinating I have such and this is where I, you you can tell I'm a real CPA I have such an inter I say interesting you are you all will not say not so interesting perspective <laughs> on this but I would love so the the cop uh, the the excuse me the the statistic that you had given, Janae, around the, the number of not-for-profits in the city, I would love to see that number compared to other businesses and other sectors. The reason I say this is is because this industry is so interesting to me, which is why I'm like, I'm not necessarily a not-for-profit exec. I'm just trying to understand the business of human services. And what I struggle with is that I hear this a lot, the collaboration piece. And so I, but I fundamentally also hold a belief that all businesses are social enterprises, regardless of their tax status, because your first line of creating social good or, or advancement of society is with your people, right, and your employees. And so people that do good by employing lots of people, that's a good thing, right? So that's good. But the second piece is that the collaboration piece I struggle with sometimes because I always say Coke and Pepsi, Pepsi probably not a good example right now, but, <laughs> but Coke and Pepsi, you know, theoretically serve thirsty people. People, but they never collaborate, right? right. <laughs> but but and the, but they also create value. So I think for us in the sector, we have to figure out what value are we truly creating, and how are we advancing society, and how can we leverage that to generate the resources that we need, whether they're philanthropic resources or other type of opportunity to really get paid for the value I believe we create. When I talk about the work we do in sexual assault and trauma, like it is reducing healthcare costs by treating this yeah. trauma, somebody needs to pay for that, right? right? So it's really to me, how do we balance all that and get that message out there and help? Um, people understand the impact of our work there's is truly there is absolutely a return but I think that we in the sector need to really focus on articulating that yeah. because even with the work that you do Janae for example I always say that volunteerism particularly because you bring great corporate groups together so you're really it's such a strong engagement channel mm -hmm. or channel and corporations pay a lot of money for that engagement in other ways they should pay you too for that right, yeah, right. <laughs> well I know they do yeah. no, right no, no, but no, no. it's a value to right. them and so that's my only point right. and so when I look at where I see the role of not-for-profits, I think that we've been doing a couple things very well in this city. I think that if you look at our boards, they're made up of 
corporations, entrepreneurs, different people that are involved in the community in different ways. But what I've noticed is that we've been a real education source for people that don't understand the gap between policy and how it really act, look what it really looks like on people's lives. And when we are doing the things that we do and we're showing them that the work that we're doing, how policy impacts that, it's so many aha moments. So I think that's part outside of the engagement I think a big role that we play is to really help people know that when you're voting or when you're doing these things, that it's not in a vacuum. These really impact people's lives. And we often are the channel to demonstrate that for people. Sure. I mean, that's essential. So people understand that it's worth doing what you're doing, whether you're volunteering or giving or whatnot. I have to imagine the Red Cross must just be like taking on new stuff left and right with everything that's going on. Right. Well, I mean, I think, in a, and I'm in a space too, so it's an interesting space where I you know, don't receive state funding in a certain mm-hmm. sector, but it's really interesting to see where we're being asked. When you think about the issues that are happening in the city of Chicago, um, you know, I haven't gotten anywhere where someone hasn't asked me, well, where's the Red Cross you know, in terms of dealing with the violence that we're seeing in the city of Chicago, where's the space? In my previous life at Erie Neighborhood House and where early childhood was, you know, my policy and passion and focus, I mean, exactly this, that we know, you know, a dollar spent in early childhood is $7 spent, you know, saved later on in, you know, incarceration, mm-hmm. drug and alcohol rehab, all these other rehabilitative right. services. And I couldn't agree with you more, Dory, because I just think it's that we talk about that, but we don't really spell that out in a way. I had a really interesting experience being at the Chicago Police Department a couple years ago and who will remain nameless and all of that kind of stuff. But when you ask police officers mm-hmm. and you say, you know, if you had a million dollars, if you had a thousand more police officers on the streets, you know, is that, well, and kind of, they all kind of looked at each other and said, well, I'd put it in preschool programs. I'd put it in yeah. programs that support parents. I mean, if we find a four-year-old on the street in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, you don't need a police officer right. for that. And so I think talking about where we see this space and where the work that we're doing, we do need to really, you know, do more to kind of put, and I, you know, this was one of the other things that we also talked about with legislators, you know, and other policy folks are, you know, nonprofits are small businesses in the sense that I, when we were looking at, you know, so if I was 50% state funded at Erie Neighborhood House, I had 150 employees. If I close, you know, that's my small business, right. you know, people, that's an economic impact yeah. for a lot of different ways. Yeah. And yeah. we usually focus on telling the story of, yes, how it would impact on families and clients and low-income communities, and that's real and that's significant. Yeah. And it would also yeah. impact yeah. also people who are working in the nonprofit sector and are really true and significant way. Well, that's a really um, great segue into our next next subject because, you know, you we're all witnessing what's going on in Springfield, whether you are directly impacted or not. And um, I'm not sure how it directly impacts um, you guys in particular, but it does still seem, unfortunately, like this um, almost or, or, you know, two-year budget impasse um, has no end in sight. And service organizations, they're closing or they're cutting services that people cannot get anywhere else. I know there's, I remember reading a story about a um, domestic violence shelter in Southern Illinois that shut down. Now women had to go 50 miles away to find safe shelter for them and their children, which is just ludicrous. Um, but, you know, it's, it's happening in every part of the state, not just Chicago, although that's, you know, where we are living and working and whatnot. But has this impasse impacted your organizations in some way um and whether it is or isn't like what's your observation about what's been happening with these organizations that really do rely so heavily on state funding because i mean you can observe and read stories and whatnot, but you guys are on the front lines. Well, for the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago, it's absolutely impacting us. And that's this thing with this not-for-profit thing, right, is that you are expected to break even. Break even means zero, 
let's just be honest, right? Break even sounds fancy, but it's zero. Mm -hmm. And so any hit to your budget is a hit. So you automatically are put in a deficit position with one removal of one line. And for us, the state budget has absolutely impacted us. Mm -hmm. So while it's 5% of our budget, that's $600,000. We don't have another $600,000 sitting in the kitty anywhere. Right. And so for me, what we I absolutely think that we need to look at the sector and look where we can um, collaborate or roll up organizations that make sense. But I think the collaboration actually needs to come, not just for not-for-profits, because we're already, we're all running zero, so there's no value. And yes, we can collaborate on services, but we still need funding to support those services, whether we're one organization or two. So I think the collaboration needs to really occur across the private sector with not-for-profits, because that's where the, the resources lie. Mm -hmm. And so how can we then do the work um, so that as an organization, we are sustainable as well as they get something of value? I think about the product red models that we are very familiar with in terms of but what they deliver in terms of AIDS, alleviating AIDS and educating people on that. That started because a business needed to have resources to work on their their um, their raw materials, right? And so they noticed that the people were dying that we're making the raw materials, and so they found a way to alleviate that by working with Product Red. We are seeing people in our communities that are suffering, and corporations need employees, they need consumers, but until they connect the right. dots to that, we will never get the resources by continuing to collaborate as not-for-profits because we're all working from a zero basis. Right. So I think collaboration, even the budget impasse, we, at the bottom line, we need resources because the, the government is the only one that sees our work as valuable. But as we continue to collaborate with people that understand the value of our work, we'll have the resources we need to do the work. Mm -hmm. And the outcomes that we all need to create a better society because violence doesn't impact just people on the south and west sides. It impacts the entire city. And it's not just our problem as a not-for-profit sector. It's everyone's problem. But we need to work together in solving it, just not the not-for-profits coming together. I have to say the state budget um, crisis and issue is one of the reasons that I, I really hate Facebook memories because all I've been seeing, like every time I turn, it's like I'm reminded almost every other year, like three years ago, four years ago, and I'm holding the same protest sign of like, wow. don't catch childcare, you know, save human services. I'm like, was that 2010? I mean, it just, right. so I think that while we're talking about the state budget crisis of the last, you know, 21 months, I mean, just this has been ongoing for most people in the humans. It should yeah. never be this much of a fight or a struggle for nonprofit organizations to work. And, and again, we're not asking the government to give everything. We're looking at, you know, an ideal partnership of the government, the private sector, the business and the, you know, individual community to support a critical business that supports communities and, right. and people. Um, so while the Red Cross, though, you know, doesn't receive, you know, state funding in that sense, we do receive government funding. And I think one of the most significant things that's impacting us as we're, we're you know, preparing for what will happen is, you know, whether the AmeriCorps program is is cut. Um, oh, and yeah. so we that get a significant. Exactly. So that's on the table at the federal level. They're saying they're going to zero it out now. It's yeah. with zero. I mean, so you've got 2,600 AmeriCorps that are working to support education, the environment, critical life-saving services throughout the state of Illinois for me specifically, I have 42 people in my disaster response team and 21 of them are AmeriCorps. So it would cut my disaster response in half. Um, so I think that these things, like we're all dependent on this in a, in a really insignificant way. So I do think it's unprecedented times around government funding and support, but um, you know, this is also where we've seen, you know, just this lack of understanding and knowledge cycle. and support of government being able to, to do what they need to do to support this service. And it's terrible because when I go to parties and someone says, hey, Janae, how are you? I'm like, I'm great. I don't get any state funding, which is true. 
Like, and it's it's sad, but we're all privately funded, and that's an amazing place to be right now, but we're incredibly unique in that. Yeah, when you see people who you know who are working in the nonprofit yeah. sector or are taking hits like this, I mean, it's really it's heartbreaking because you know yeah. it's not just heartbreaking that they're impacted as an organization, but it's who they're serving, and that's really, um, the really, truly the worst of it. Yes. Yeah. Right. right. Um, so last question. It's a fun one. So if you guys were going to give advice to your younger selves about pursuing a career in service, what advice would you give today? So I thought, I mean, I thought about this a little bit. Um, although I will say, first and foremost, if you can connect yourself with amazing women, like I think about the women in the room, I feel so fortunate to just have a great network of women and colleagues that, you know, and just continue to see you go up and just will make that phone call, make that connection and so forth. Um, and so I feel really, really grateful to, to have that. And I think that's really important as women. We do that for younger women moving up, and I think they'll always do that in return. Um, I will say to, to make sure you do something that you, um, where you figure out what you don't want to do. I think some of my most best, some of my best experiences where I've learned the most is where I figured out what I didn't want to do. I had a uh, placement in college. My background was in social work. I was training in social work, but my practicum placements were in corrections in the correctional settings. Um, and so I was working like the overnight shift with uh, women ex-felons as part of their probation and parole. And, um, you know, I just learned so much. One, I learned that I didn't think I could do that work long term. Mm-hmm. Um, what I kind of saw and what I felt in terms of the social workspace in that in that setting. But I learned so much just about the overrepresentation of women of color in our correctional settings. Um, yeah. Just about how, you know, abuse and addiction impact women who end up being in the correctional settings um, and just kind of some of those large and you know I, I think with that those things that you can decide to do I learned a lot in that space but I want to do something different so I think that we should always be open to deciding to do something that may not be somewhere we may end up because you still just learn so much about that and that compassion and understanding for larger policy issues has really stayed with me part of your foundation for getting to where you go mm-hmm. for sure yeah so for me um it's let your career be a winding road um mine has um I graduated from college with a communications degree thinking I was like going to be a PR maven. And that is not at all what's happened with my career. And well, I'm good at it, but, but (laughs) thanks Michigan state for that comms degree. Um, but, but it's more about like, that's not what, where I was led. Right. And it's just when those doors open, walk through them. Um, it might not be the thing that you think is the next thing for you. Just continue to go through the doors. Um, because if I had, um, you know, really stuck in my head, no, 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 this is what I think I need to be doing, I would never be where I am now. And I think it also is, I tell people to, um, in whatever you do, make sure your heart is also happy, right? It's important to be intellectually stimulated and rewarded and feel like things are, you know, but in the service industry, like you can, every day I get up and I know my heart is happy through the work that I'm doing, even if I know I'm sitting at the office all day and doing data entry work, because even as the CEO, some days I still have to do that, right? And I think I've been fortunate from my career perspective that even when I was in counting, I was always volunteering or always saw service as part of what I do, whatever I do. And I think I would just remind not only myself and others that you can absolutely do good from wherever you are, but you have to have a you have to have a deliberate focus on that. And I just think that I would remind myself and the others around me that we could absolutely do that. And so just really make sure that service is explicitly incorporated and articulated in everything that I do. I have a little bit of advice. I People ask me, because I do a lot, I do a lot of volunteering. Um, I think it's really important to not overextend yourself. 
Um, don't sign up for every club, every organization because you think you have to and you think it's going to look good on your resume. I think quality over quantity, anytime you're putting your name on something, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of it all the time because there's I'm on two boards, which might not seem like a lot, but it is a lot of work. And to to do the work that we're doing to accomplish the goals that these organizations that I'm involved with have, you have to be engaged, you have to be committed, and you can't just hop on a call and put it on mute and, and tune out. You really need to um, present. be present. And so I that would be my piece of advice is just make sure that you're you have the time to actually make a difference and not just be a name on a list. Yes. Well, we've seen all that, I'm sure, more than a few times. So lastly, because we really are wrapping up, um, tell us, our listeners, how they can get involved with your organization, number, website, whatnot. Dory. Sure. YWCAChicago.org. YWCAChicago.org is the best way to get involved. And of course, at the RedCross.org. That's RedCross.org. You can find out more about how to participate with us, get connected about blood drives, volunteer, going out to install smoke alarms. We do have our large Heroes Breakfast in just two weeks on Thursday, April 27th. So if you want to find out more information about where we actually have an event to honor local heroes for tremendous acts of bravery and good work in the community, you can also go to redcross.org slash heroes. And chicagocares.org is our website where you can find volunteer opportunities uh, practically every day of the year. And as well, we've got our big event, Servathon, coming up June 24th. So it's the city's largest day of service. We've got an ambitious goal of getting 5,000 people out to go volunteer all across the city. So we'd love for folks to get involved and sign up. Perfect. So Dory McHorter, Janae Myers, and Selena Roldan, thank you again for being a part of the broadcast. That's all the time we have for today, but that doesn't mean the conversation stops here. Listeners, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we're looking for sponsors. Talking, <laughs> Dory's proud, I know. She, so um, if you enjoy our podcast and think it will benefit others, keep the conversation going and consider becoming a sponsor. For more information, please go to www.cstrategiesllc.com. That's it for our fourth episode of the broadcast. Once again, ladies, thank you for being here. And you don't know this, but you do get a parting gift as being a member. I mean, you know, if you talk, you do a you know something at say City Club, they yeah. give you a mug, but you already have plenty of mugs. We give you your very own the broadcast lip balm. So nice. every time you need some lip balm, and you also see it, well, remember to use your voice, as we like to say too. So, ladies, thank you, and good luck with all the amazing work that you're doing. The broadcast is brought to you by C Strategies LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs firm bringing passion and veteran experience to help clients meet their business goals. Our sponsors are the Remix Project Chicago and Ventus Holdings LLC. We are produced and edited by Emily Modaff with audio assistance by Jack Flash. To learn more about C Strategies and the broadcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter at C Strategies LLC and visit CStrategiesLLC.com. Thanks for listening.